so much the person that cheated is feeling so much shame and hopefully remorse um, and blame, you know, a lot of blame. And so they are feeling very unheard and uh, discouraged, very discouraged. And so that's the other purpose of the book is to recognize that with some maturity, humility, and um, curiosity, they can make change. They can get to repair relationships, maybe or maybe not with the person they hurt, but, you know, certainly future relationships. Welcome to Couples Therapy in Seven Words. I am your co-host, Judy Alexander, and I'm here with my husband, Dr. Bruce Chalmer. Well, hello, Judy. Hello, viewers and listeners. Uh, Our topic for today is... Okay, I had an affair. Why isn't saying sorry enough? An interview with Dr. Deborah Miller. Indeed. And she wrote a book Mm -hmm. which is aimed at the person who did the cheating, not the one who was cheated on, which is you know, less, uh, less usual. Let's put it that way. Right. And we have finished our interview with her. We went through hell and high water technically, but I, I think that the quality actually will turn out to be quite good folks. Mm-hmm. But you know, why don't, why am I bothering to tell you that you should have some Rahmanas for us? That's a Yiddish word. Meaning <laughs> mercy on us for what, and especially for, for Dr. Miller, she was a real trooper and yes, really she was. She helped us out there with us. Hung in there, came back, redid what we had to redo. So but I do want to say the name of her book since we brought her up, which yes. is more than sorry. Five Steps to Deepen Your Apology After You Have Committed Adultery. Indeed. While we're on the subject of books, why don't we mention some books that I've written? Ah, yes, <laughs> we have a couple of books that we want to plug as well. That's right. Um, yeah, they're, they're they back are. there. <laughs> they're back there, folks. The latest is not about communication, why everything you know about couples therapy is wrong. Yep. And then there was the original one that started this podcast. It kind of lit the spark. And that book was Reigniting the Spark, Why Stable Relationships Lose Intimacy and How to Get It Back. And let me just say about those two books, um, first of all, I think they're good books. Well, of course I do. I wrote them. Uh, I'm not the only one who thinks that, by the way. Numbers of other people have told me they're good books, too. And moreover, what they're, you know, I'm realizing we plug these books and I don't really mention what they're about all the time. That concept of, you know, things are going wrong. You know, if I were going to summarize the one thing that ties it all together. And even the the concept of it's not about communication, you know, Mm -hmm. it's that you're valid even when things are really hard. Both of you, you're both valid people. When things are going badly, it's because it's hard. It's because there's good reasons why it's hard. You start from there and then you can have the courage. And I use that word in the conversation with Dr. Miller as well, Mm -hmm. the courage to look at things being difficult and discover that you can tolerate the anxiety that you need for intimacy. That's really what it's about. It's a lot about learning how to tolerate the anxiety you need to get through some hard stuff. It's not about, you know, a nice, simple program that will easily lead you from point A to point B. It's about recognizing your own validity, and that will give you courage. Or as we might say, it's about the seven words, be kind, don't panic, and have faith. That's what it's about. Anyway, check out those books. And while we're mentioning books, I have two, I guess I'll call them booklets because they're shorter. They're Mm -hmm. shorter books. They're under 100 pages each. One of them is called Seven Words to Jumpstart Your Love Life. Now, that book is available on Amazon. It's available as an audio book. It's available for Kindle. It's available as a paperback. 
You don't need to buy any of those. What a thing for an author to say. Yeah, why would you say that? Why would I say that? Because I'll give you the electronic copy for free. Free? If you sign up for my newsletter. Uh So you will see when you go to ctn7.com, that is our podcast website, you will see a little box that says, sign up for Dr. Chalmers' newsletter. And when you do that, folks, you will get free of charge a link to that very booklet, Seven Words to Jumpstart Your Love Life. And the other booklet I've written recently uh, is called My Husband. Go ahead. You say it. (laughs) My husband complains about my cleaning. What do I do? Hint. It's not about cleaning. Yeah. And that, again, sounds like a a very niche uh, book, but there are lots of people who are wondering about that very thing. We get lots of internet searchers talking about, my husband's complaining about my cleaning, and what do I do? You know, it's just these very frustrated women who are trying to figure out how to manage this. Mm -hmm. It's obviously a relationship issue. It's I don't give them, you know, uh, suggestions for what dust mop to get. No. So (laughs) that's not what it's about. So do check all of that stuff out. And, um... I think that's uh, that'll do us for our intro now. Yes, I think we should get on with our nice interview with Deb Miller and uh, hear what all the fun, fascinating things she. I shouldn't say fun because it's a tough topic, but uh, all of the interesting things that she has to say about infidelity. So we will get on with that. You'll hear Judy introducing her, and we will see you on the other side. Our guest today is Dr. Deborah Miller. Dr. Miller is a licensed professional counselor who has worked with couples, families, and individual adults and children for over 25 years. She has worked as an educator specializing in the needs of at-risk children, as well as a school counselor. In her work with couples, she has often worked with couples dealing with the effects of infidelity. Her recent book is called More Than Sorry, Five Steps to Deepen Your Apology after you have committed infidelity. After celebrating 45 years of marriage, she and her husband have joined the caboose generation, moving to live closer to grandchildren. Pickleball has helped the adjustment to semi-retirement. Dr. Miller, welcome to Couples Therapy in Seven Words. Thank you. Good to be here, Bruce and Judy. Well, thanks for doing this. I, I, I want to, in the interest of full transparency, want to mention to our uh, viewers and listeners, we've been having technical issues today. Uh, so uh, apologies to all of you in advance. We're going to find a way of getting this thing made and we will get it out to you. If you notice funny things happening in the course of the recording, that's just because of technical issues. So having said all that, uh, yeah, Deb, tell us, how did you get into uh, counseling couples and you know what, what was your own journey from you know, working as an educator and moving into working with, uh, you know, doing counseling and working with couples? Yeah, I, my um, journey started with being a special education teacher, uh, working with at-risk kids, uh, adolescents primarily. And then as I got my counseling degree, I moved into kind of a school counseling kind of role. And then once I got my doctorate, I started my private practice. And, you know, I certainly was... Um, advocating work with adolescents and children. And, but what happened that people would bring their kids in, push them through the door. And then as we dealt with some of the family issues, realizing that they too, as a couple or as adults individually also needed to get some therapy. And at the same time, I was doing a pretty intensive four-year training with a, uh, Dr. Ed Harris in St. Louis on Gestalt training and got feeling very comfortable working with couples and understanding that work with 
a relationship is different than working with individuals. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that happened. And then as a consequence of working so much with couples, uh, a primary um, issue was affairs or infidelity, um, cheating. Mm-hmm. And so I started that journey and found myself very redundant in what I would say to these couples over and over again, and consequently realized that um, because there was a lack of resources for a person that was cheated, that was cheating, that I needed to write a book on it. And uh, the COVID gave me the time and space to get that happen, to make that happen. Uh-huh. It, and it is interesting that, you know, it is very unusual, as you note, to have a book that is aimed at the person who did the cheating. Usually the work is, you know, how do you survive when your partner has cheated mm-hmm. on you? But to actually have something that addresses those folks is really very interesting. You know, I'm, I'm curious in, in the context of that, what did you notice? What, what did you feel? And of course, I'm, I'm almost asking you to summarize your book in a few sentences, which is silly because, it's, you know, people should read the book. But what did you notice that really needed to be uh, said or, you know, what did you need to help people who did the cheating work on? Well, so the redundancy was that couples would come in for counseling and the person that had been wounded, the person that was the victim, the person that was uh, caught blindsided, just really needed to vent and emote and ask questions. And, you know, they needed some attention and they needed a lot of validation um, and space to air their pain. Meanwhile, the perpetrator, the person that cheated, the adulterer, would often just sit there silently, head down, mumbling, I don't know, I don't know why I did it, and I'm sorry, and why are we still talking about it? And mm-hmm. it was just kind of a redundant thing, and I recognized that the healing of them as a couple wasn't going to happen unless the person that cheated did some work, mm-hmm. did some, as I call it, navel-gazing, some ability to look inward and ask themselves some deeper questions about their why, um, that they stepped over the line and violated the trust in the relationship. Yeah, I like that in your book, you have, um, you know, different sections on journaling, where it really gets the, well, the cheater to get introspective and goes through the steps that they might not have thought about otherwise, other than, you know, like, I don't know, but you bring up these wonderful topics of, of to get the, the whole process flowing and really you know, to examine their motives and, and everything else that led up to it in the relationship. So I found that. Right. That that was the other intention of the book was that it is a self-help book. Even though I would prefer people work with a therapist, even jointly with the book, you know, the reality is that there's not accessibility to mental health in many areas. Mm -hmm. People maybe aren't ready. They don't have the money. They can't find the right person. So it's a tool for them to actually, walk themselves through some steps and, and, and encourages them to look deeply because, you know, the reality is we all have a innate ability to look in the mirror and be okay with who we are, even when we mess up. Mm-hmm. And so that's challenging people to, to kind of uh, embrace their guilt in a way to recognize that they did hurt someone, they did mess up and that they need to own it. Uh, but that doesn't mean they can't change. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, things can be repaired. And so that's the other hope is so much the person that cheated is feeling so much shame and hopefully remorse um, and blame, you know, a lot of blame. And so they are feeling very unheard and uh, discouraged. 
very discouraged. And so that's the other purpose of the book is to recognize that with some maturity, humility, and um, curiosity, they can make change. They can get to repair relationships, maybe or maybe not with the person they hurt, but, you know, certainly future relationships. So how do, what makes for an effective apology? Yeah. Well, it has to start with empathy. In other words, for me to really get how much I wounded you, I have to really get the depth of that pain. And, and that takes, again, a lot of courage uh, and humility to, to accept how much you have inflicted on another person. So step one is to understand the power of empathy and how to learn that skill because it is a skill. So if you um, don't have it, how do you learn it? <laughs> right. Well, you go to map counseling school and you learn. No, I'm kidding. I mean, that is one way. We all learned it. Uh, it Carl Rogers was like our old guru in the old days and still is, I guess, you know, um, who taught us a really simple formula for, for communicating empathy. But step one is to sense what the other person is feeling, to make guesses about their emotions, and then to articulate it, to validate it. And he would use the kind of simplistic phrase of, ah, you're feeling blank because blank. Ah, you're feeling ticked off because I cheated on you. That sounds so simplistic. And yet to hear those words, it helps the other person speaking go, yeah, I get it. I get it. Mm -hmm. And so it just takes a lot of maturity to be able to sit with someone else's pain, especially when you've inflicted it. Yeah, that that's what I always find fascinating, that if somebody isn't feeling valid themselves, that they're, it's very difficult for them to open up to experiencing just how much they hurt someone else because it feels like annihilation. And, you know, we resist feeling annihilated. We, you know, it's any, I know you talk in the book about the difference between guilt and shame. And when someone is overwhelmed with shame, that sense that they are simply a bad person not merely that they've done something bad, but that they're a bad person, it becomes almost impossible for them to, to be empathetic, to actually hear, wow, I need to understand how I've hurt you. Because mm-hmm. that, that, that sounds like that is really central to an apology, having the possibility of being effective. That's you know, right. You yeah. have to understand what it is that you've done that the other person's upset about. Yeah. When you think about, you know, raising children, and I know you've had, what, five? Five children? Um, two of us, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, you know, we all are guilty as parents today, you know, encouraging our kids to say, I'm sorry, when you mess up, say, I'm sorry. And the kid, okay, if I say, I'm sorry, it's over with, right? I don't have to talk about it anymore. And so this is saying that's not enough. I'm sorry is nice, but it doesn't really communicate what you're sorry for, mm-hmm. uh, what it is that you recognize you did wrong, what it is that you hope to do differently in the future. So a true apology, which is what I build up with through the book, that's the last step of the five steps, is to really make a, is to really, I encourage writing letters that tells more about what it was that they think they were going through at the time, as well as what it is that they understand that they did to the victim, how they hurt them so deeply. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just saying more. It's just saying more and being more authentic and more honest and real. Yeah, you know, something else I noticed about your book, which was interesting, which was 
you had, was it five example couples, I think, that we sort of follow throughout the course of the book, which is, I did a similar approach, actually, in one of my books, too. It just, it, it really makes it interesting. It's like, ooh, you kind of get to know these people a little bit. And you included quite a diverse mix. And I want to ask you something about that, because you included, I think it was three heterosexual couples and a lesbian couple and a gay male couple. And I found it fascinating in the course of my work, which is overwhelmingly heterosexual couples, because I'm a you know cisgendered heterosexual male. And, you know, I don't specialize in LGBTQ folks, but uh, over the course of time, I have counseled numbers of lesbian couples and gay male couples. And what's fascinating is, especially from the gay men, what I've heard as a, as a heterosexual man myself, I've had to learn the, you know, heteronormative assumptions is the buzzword, you know, the assumptions I'm making that are true largely in heterosexual relationships aren't necessarily the ones that gay men are making especially when it comes to things like what constitutes cheating, what sort of understanding. Now, of course, the the, uh, the example you gave in your book, the, the gay male couple you had in your book, it was really clear and you made it quite explicit. Their deal was monogamy. Like, we will not have sex with someone else. So that, And I think the name of the cheater was Bruce, as I recall. Which I picked <laughs> up on. <laughs> that was before you knew me, I'm sure. No, um, yeah. yeah, but it was, you know, he, the, that character in the book, um, recognized he was cheating. But I'm curious about that uh, because I've, I've noted that in my work with couples. You know, every once in a while, I'll get a couple where one says it's cheating and the other says, no, it isn't. And, and you know, that can run quite, quite an interesting gamut. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts about that. Well, let's back up a bit and let me share my definition of, of an affair. An affair mm-hmm. is a secret relationship. Mm-hmm. It's um, not agreed upon it and so you know nowadays there's a little bit more polyamorous couples Mm -hmm. who have agreed to let other people be in their primary relationships that's not an affair that's not cheating because it's it's in the open yeah and so if um in all those cases the, the similarity of them that there was a relationship that the significant other had no clue was happening or at least the depth of emotional connection that was happening Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because where that gets, uh, I keep saying interesting, (laughs) that's what it seems to me, where it gets interesting is where some, like your example of the uh, the lesbian couple where the woman was having a deep friendship, Mm -hmm. which, especially women, (laughs) not to mansplain to the women in the conversation here, but, but I've heard from you guys, women do that a lot, you know, even more than men. And and it crossed a line, but, she, you know, she could make a case. I think it was Carmen, right? Do I remember that right? Mm-hmm. She could make a case that she didn't realize it had crossed the line. Right. She then observed that it did. But it was interesting that, you know, those situations of, you know, it, it's not always clear to both parties that it, that it ought to constitute cheating. Or here's another example. You didn't mention this sort of possibility. I've actually met couples where usually the woman in, a, in this case would be saying, if he masturbates and I'm not, you know, if he does that, that's cheating. Right. And, or, and then one step further, if he looks at porn and I'm not there, that's cheating. And the yeah. guy may be thinking in either, in, in maybe in the porn case, yes, maybe not, but certainly in the masturbation case, probably not. And it's an interesting issue. I'm, I'm curious, you know, how do you... Well, how do you in, those examples, in those two examples, Bruce, you want to ask the couple, or at least the, the in this case, woman, if, if the masturbating or porn is getting in the way of their intimacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what you're exploring. Um, you know, we don't necessarily need to label it as an affair, mm-hmm. but it's certainly something that's a conflict in their relationship and they need to figure out what it is because the whole 
reality is, you know, if you triangulate a relationship, if you enter a third party, it, it gives too much space. It spaces you out from your primary relationship. Mm-hmm. So if it's a third partner that's secret, that's going to keep you from being more emotionally open uh, with your client. If you're on porn, it may keep you from being more available emotionally, sexually for your partner also. Mm-hmm. So that's certainly the work that needs to happen. And so, yeah, I had one example in my book that was uh, based pretty much on a real couple. I try to make them somewhat fictionalized so no one would recognize themselves. Mm-hmm. But the poor couple that, um, you know, he had had a lifelong porn issue and and then tried to enter a, a marriage. And it was a hard habit. It was a hard addiction to break. Mm-hmm. And uh, he definitely needed to pursue um sex anonymous groups and, and really do that 12 step program there. And mm-hmm. his wife was really pretty understanding of it where the, the issues would come was when he would sneak and do it without telling her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And accepting that he had an addiction, but when he, be, when it fell into the secrecy thing again, that's when the conflict and loss of trust would happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Is this, yeah. you think this may be a good time to, to segue to our, letter? yeah, we have a listener letter for you. Uh, okay. we like, as our regular listeners know, we like to, uh, when we have them, by the way, listeners, we, we can use more letters, <clears throat> by the way, folks, more questions, send them in. But we have this one that is, uh, we think, right up your alley. So that's why we picked okay. this one out for you. So go for it. Okay. Amy writes, Dear Bruce and Judy, I'm 56 years old and married to Kevin for 30 years. Ten years ago, Kevin had a year-long affair with his co-worker. We wanted to stay together for the sake of our children, who were 14 and 12 at the time. We went for counseling and got our marriage back on track, at least for a while. With the kids now out of the house, I'm having trouble connecting to Kevin. We don't seem to have a lot in common, and he isn't affectionate. We haven't had sex in over a year. I think a part of me feels his apology wasn't really sincere. I don't think he'd cheat again, but I keep going over what happened in my mind. I still don't understand how it happened, and I still don't think he understands how badly it hurt me. What should I do? So what advice for Amy and Kevin? Amy and Kevin. Yeah, Amy, obviously, you guys need to go back to counseling and try to talk about what's happening. I mean, that's pretty apparent, but it's also reflective of the ebbs and flows of marriage, you know, and the fact that you're going to go through some roller coasters. And when I couples come to me, I talk to them about a four month repair because to really intensely try to fix things takes a lot of energy and a lot of uh, focus. And meanwhile, you got maybe kids to raise or a job to keep or the grass to mow or the laundry to do. And it's really easy to just get busy and not focus on each other. And so when I say a four month experiment, it's more about, what can I do every day to show my spouse that I care or like them? Because what happens over time, especially in long relationship like that they have, um, resentment builds and you may love the person, but you fall out of like of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's how do you reconnect? How do you put some energy into trying? And certainly it, Human instinct is the, well, the other person's not trying, so why should I? But if it's important to you to put out some energy and whether it's, you know, um, sitting him down to talk or whether it's dragging him back into counseling, um, but, you know, that 
what if, I don't know, because that's the second step of my book is say it out loud. Because mm. it gives Do you want to go a, through the steps? Do you want to tell us the steps? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that was the third step. <laughs> first step is empathy. First, first step is empathy, you know, communicating that you understand the pain for them, but also for yourself. Uh, the second step is to explore. And that's the navel gazing, how to really analyze yourself in terms of um, your defense mechanisms, your moral code. Uh, there's a whole list. It's a pretty big step, really big step. But the third step is say it out loud. And that's finding a confidant. And it may be a therapist, but ideally there's someone in your world that knows you and loves you and will just do a pretty good job of listening just to talk about it sometimes, you know, mm. and the fourth step was set restitution goals, you know, make some commitment to what you're going to do. And then that last step is write that letter of apology um, and may say more than I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. is the step. But, but back to the say it out loud. I mean, that's really powerful because when people come to counseling, especially after an affair, they don't, they've never really told their story. Yeah. I had an affair, you know, and, and they're, they're inundated with questions like, where'd you sleep with him or her? What did you, where'd you go out to dinner? How much money did you spend? How good was the sex? You know, there was those kind of questions, but from, from a, um, a non-judgmental perspective to have someone tell you their story is really powerful for them to hear themselves, for them to look at themselves in the mirror. And I don't know how Amy's feeling about knowing the story and she may not know it completely, but it is interesting reflection that 10 years seems like that should be another piece of her history, but it's not. It's yeah. like the kind of the elephant in the living room. It's just kind of there. And mm -hmm. sometimes it's a deal. And then other times it smacks in the face. And right now it's smacking her in the face because she's feeling too distant from her husband. She's yeah, not, connected. they're not connected. And that's the piece about intimacy. You know, certainly uh, physical intimacy is a part of intimacy, but there are other types of intimacy that, you, that everyone needs to make sure they're doing, you know, intellectually, mm -hmm. emotionally, spiritually, um, experientially. How mm -hmm. else do we feel connected to someone? Yeah, I describe as one of my favorite shticks is to describe stability and intimacy as both needs and somewhat in tension with each other, because to maintain intimacy sometimes is scary. It feels destabilizing because you, to raise, you know, for her to have an intimate moment with Kevin, where what, what Amy says is, I, I'm, I know this is hard, but I'm still not done with 10 years ago. You know, we need to talk more about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting when people write a letter like this to us, I usually, I shouldn't assume this, but very likely they're not in couples therapy because if they were, they wouldn't be writing a letter to us, you know, and I have a whole section in one of my recent little booklets about how to get your reluctant guy to go to couples therapy. And the wow. reason, the reason, reason the guy is reluctant speaking as a guy, I have some authority in that mm -hmm. realm. <laughs> I can speak as a guy. We're terrified. And women often don't realize that we're terrified, but we're terrified because we don't, you know, I don't know, Kevin, probably he doesn't want to lose Amy. And yet he's terrified of bringing up this old stuff. It's going to be painful. And he yeah. doesn't maybe know if it's possible for her to forgive him. And so yeah. to, to that, for them to do the kind of work that you talk about in your book is an act of great courage. Mm -hmm. and they're going to have to rehash all that again. They're going to have to rehash it to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
Well, and that's, that's the other thing I try to teach couples is how do you talk about it five, 10 years later? Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily mm-hmm. want to go back over to how many times did we, they, you sleep together? You know, what was your favorite meal? You don't need to get that specific, mm-hmm. but later when it comes up, because it will, it's like all in our culture. You know, you watch any TV show and someone's having an affair, any movie, and it's going to trigger your yeah. own memories. And the maturity and the uh, hope is that you're able to turn to your significant other and say, ouch, you're watching that TV show kind of brought back a lot of young, ugly memories. Mm-hmm. And for the other person just to say, I know, I know, I wish we didn't have it in our head and I'm sorry it sits with you. That's, that's affirming. I had a couple... Of worms. Yeah, just yesterday I had a couple who very quickly were able to do an amazing amount of recovery. Young couple, these are folks in their late 20s. And she had cheated and felt terrible about it. They had been together since they were kids. I mean, like mm. young, you know, like teenagers, young teenagers, they've mm. been together. And it was fascinating because they were a little worried that they'd recovered as quickly as they had, and they still had a lot of pain about it. But they were at that point, and I, I've, I don't see this all the time, and I'm always impressed when I do. I've had couples, I, one of the things I tell in one of my books is a, a woman who said to her husband who had cheated on her after they had worked for about a year and a half, and she said, hey, thanks for taking one for the team. And, and he said, what do you mean by that? <laughs> and she said, well, we are so much better off now than we were before you cheated. Because clearly there was, you know, I, I am not saying thank you for cheating. You know, I wish you hadn't cheated, but something had to give. We were headed for a bad end. And I'm mm-hmm. so much better off now, not only with you, this is the woman talking to her husband, not only with you, but with my kids, with my coworkers, I'm so much able to handle things now. And you're the one who had to feel guilty because you did the bad thing. So thanks for taking one for the team. It was a great moment. And that couple yesterday, they didn't exactly say that, but it was uh-huh they were expressing this sense of gratitude. They said, you know, it was it. looking back on it now, you know, I wish we had known where we were headed, but mm-hmm. if something like this hadn't happened, we'd probably have broken up miserable. Mm-hmm. And now they've gone through a serious crisis, but they're emerging with this sense of appreciation for each other that they hadn't had for years. Yeah. And so, you know, there, there's a, an element of gratitude that when people have really metabolized what happened, Mm-hmm. which is a funny way of saying it. it's like they've digested it, you know? Well, when, in some ways they have. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what it's about. That's, that's the yeah, fantasy, I, Frozen. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's the fantasy is that, and the hope is that after this work, there's a reframe that happens that says, mm-hmm. we went through a really dark time in our relationship and it was horrible and painful. And yet we now are, you know, more intimate more honest with each other, freer, we've made changes. You know, that's the hope. That's the work. That's what you want to get to. But so many people get stuck in that ain't it awful. He he or she hurt me so badly. I can't walk away. I can't let it go. And that's just, you know, sad and it's draining. I mean, what a burden to carry around with you. That's a lot. lot. And, And, you know, I, and you you mentioned this possibility in your book too, and I think you even mentioned it in our talk today. There are couples who heal and break up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There, and it's it is interesting. I remember I've worked with couples occasionally where someone will say, "You know, I I really understand why he or she did it. I just can't be married to 
them anymore. Yeah. I, you know, even though I, I've forgiven them, I, I'm not angry. I even understand the context. I just can't be with someone who would have done that. So we need to sadly figure out how to still be, you know, good parents to our children or whatever. But, right. you know, that does happen as well. And, you know, I count that as healing. It's not, it's yeah, not the one I would wish, but it's. Right. It well, sense. that was examples, the five couples I gave in my book, mm-hmm. you know, I guess three healed, three chose to stay together mm-hmm. and two did not. One was an ugly split up because he chose not to do much navel gazing mm-hmm. and, um, they left kind of bitter with each other. And the other couple, um, yeah, they were able to grandparent and parent successfully as separate individuals, single individuals. You know, that, that is true. You know, so much of when we work with people is not really knowing they're what they come when they come to your office or write you a letter, you're getting a little bit of who they are, but yet they still have the, the job of figuring out what they want and what makes sense for them. And we have to be very careful as therapists and helpers not to impose our belief system on them. We have to mm-hmm. make sure we um, let them make their own choices. It's kind of uh, easier to work with adults than it is with kids because kids um, don't have as many choices, so mm-hmm. much independence. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I know. I think um, this. Uh, Ability to listen and accept the parts of yourself that maybe you don't like is part of this navel gazing, how to accept that you have flaws. We all have mm-hmm. flaws and, um, and how to acknowledge them, number one. And then number two, see if we can tweak them or ch- make them different. Mm-hmm. But that has to be said out loud um, or it's in order to make that kind of commitment, in order to get that kind of feedback from others. If that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, tell folks uh, how they can find out more about your book and find out more about you. Yeah, my website is uh, www.drdebmiller.com. Dr. Deb Miller, D-R-D-E-B-M-I-L-L-E-R.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, there's a link there to buy the book on Amazon if you like. It's very affordable and um, just really wanted to put out a resource because it is an underserved population. Mm-hmm. And I really want um, them to have resources, if that makes sense. But I did come up with my own seven words. Oh, please. Yes. And mine is a say it out loud and communicate empathy. Mm -hmm. I really want people to, you know, we all have so much strong intuition and so much dialogue going on inside our own heads. And if we really want to be with another person, they need to know most of what's going on in your head. They won't know. I like that. Yeah. Say it out loud and communicate empathy. I love the fact that you have to count the word and just like we do in our seven words, you know. No, I was so excited when it came out to seven. (laughs) Have faith, don't panic. I mean, be kind, don't panic and And have faith. faith. And you know, you're, you're making me think we should challenge all of our guests to come up with a seven word description. This is episode yeah. number, I think, 114 or something. And that's the first time I've thought of that. So thank you for, uh, <laughs> oh, for noticing well, that. I came up with that. That's yeah. great. Well, wow. thank you so much for doing thank this. You, and Deb. again, as a, for the benefit of our listeners, uh, Deb, you really uh, get extra credit for putting up with our technical difficulties today. <laughs> much appreciation for that. Hey, it's the real world here. So yeah, I'm glad we could figure it out. Well, good luck. You're touching lives. Good for you. Thank you. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Deb. Um, she had a lot of interesting things to say about infidelity. And if you are in a relationship where infidelity is um, an issue, I highly recommend her book uh, because it really does give you some interesting steps to follow through and to think about and to process because, well, as you know, there's so many, uh, so many difficult uh, emotions that need to be processed when that yeah. happens. And I just want to note, especially if you're the one who did the cheating, mm-hmm. that's who she's right. Real, she's really aim- that aiming at, at yeah. the cheater. So mm-hmm. uh, I know so many books, you know, seem to emphasize how to uh, the the wronged person, the cheatee, um, <laughs> so <to speak. laughs> the cheatee, the cheated, the one who was cheated on. You know how to get through that. But this one uh, really does focus on the cheater. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, yeah, More Than Sorry is her book and uh, contact her. Indeed. And we want to put in a couple of a plug for our, a couple of our books, uh, Reigniting the Spark, Why Stable Relationships Lose Intimacy and How to Get It Back. And It's Not About Communication, Why Everything You Know About Couples Therapy is Wrong. And as Bruce mentioned earlier, when you subscribe to his newsletter, you get for free his bonus book, Seven Words to Jumpstart Your Love Life. And you can do that. You can sign up for my newsletter at right from ctn7.com, ctn7, that's the number seven.com, um, which is a CT for couples therapy, in case you were wondering where that comes from, ctn7.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is our podcast website, and you can sign up for my newsletter right from there. Uh, and when you do that, as Judy mentioned, you'll get the freebie. And uh, I have uh, another book uh, you can find on Amazon as well. Uh, also, we I want to put my... in a we want to put in a word oh, there's, for there's my cup. Yes, I can hold oh, up my cup. You got there it. it is. Put in a word for our merch, merch. our beautiful mugs, t-shirts, and tote bags that we have with our couples therapy and seven word logo on one side and our motto "Be kind, don't panic, and have faith" on the other side. Indeed, and um, yeah, the tote bags, especially by the way, we use that we we use the cups and we use the tote bags. Mm-hmm. We don't, it's funny, we don't use the t-shirts a lot. If you like t-shirts, no, I don't wear get t-shirts. a t-shirt, that's whatever. Right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but in any case, uh, yeah, that's all available there. But plenty of people do wear t-shirts. They do. So for those t-shirt wearers. By golly, go check them out. They're good quality. We made are, sure of that. And they're nice. They're, they're attractive. They're, they're very nice, nicely designed. And if you have a question like Amy that you want us to read on the air and help you process some of your problems, write to us. You go to ctn7.com and write to us. And if you have suggestions for a guest that you'd like to be on our show, or you would like to be a guest on our show, you can sign up at ctn7.com. And so I think we've accomplished what we need to accomplish here. Well, one thing we still haven't said. We haven't. If, <laughs> if you are loyal fans and viewers and listeners of our podcast. So I knew there was something. <laughs> <laughs> please follow us, like us. Tell your friends, share us, and do all those things that people do on social media to up their listenership. So. Absolutely. We would love to welcome more and more listeners, as mm-hmm. we seem to have been. We get these these weird spikes in downloads. All of a sudden, yeah. people like seem to be finding out about it, and we're not quite sure how, but we're delighted that they are. Yes, we are. So, And so, until next time. Remember, be kind. Don't panic. And have faith.